You know, I, the the wildland urban interface for me, um, I, I always see it as you know, mother mother nature was here first, and we're introducing ourselves into you know that that new area, and we do need to be mindful of where we're building, as far as you know, homes and and commercial um, stuff too. Hi, everyone. You're listening to episode two of the Kansas Forest Service podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Wondersee, and today we're going to talk with three members of our fire management program about what the wildland urban interface looks like here in Kansas. Let's jump right in and get to know who we've got on the podcast with us today. My name is Chris Hansen. I'm based out of Stockton, Kansas, up here in the Northwest, and I'm the Northwest District Fire Management Officer. Okay. How about you, Dennis? Yeah, I'm Dennis Carlson, Assistant Fire Management Officer with Kansas Forest Service and based out of Leon, Kansas. Okay, and now we heard a lot about our last participant in the very first episode of our podcast. So let's learn a little bit more about the man that apparently needs no introduction, Rodney. Hi, I'm Rodney Redinger. I'm the Assistant Fire Management Officer uh, for Operations and Training from uh, Hutchison, Kansas. Okay, thanks, Rodney. So let's just start off by exploring um, what exactly is the wildland urban interface. To to me, when I think of the wildland urban interface, it's I mean the kind of definition would just in and of itself be where uh, the wildland and whether it's one home or a community of homes where they uh, where they meet. Well, um, basically, the wildland urban interface is where many of our homes are now being built out more in the rural areas and and just kind of that because everybody wants that nice picturesque surroundings of trees and grass and all that. You kind of have to think about, you know, as you're building these these homes out there is, you know, from a fire standpoint, what access fire department fire trucks have to those areas and then when you start looking at the landscape of that um, of course you're going to have a lot of grass mix which is you know fire can spread very quickly in those areas and then the big one we got out there a lot that people really like are the eastern red cedars Um, and the red cedars i mean they're they're native to kansas and they grow really well in you know even our sandy areas which you know north of hutchinson is kind of more of that sandy um, soils up in there they grow really well in there but eastern red cedar can be extremely flammable Um, and it also when it burns produces a lot of embers and those are some real i guess significant things we need to think about uh, especially when we're building homes around red cedars how to space them and, and those type of things Chris, how is the wildland urban interface here in Kansas different from other places you've been? I look out here in Kansas and, you know, comparing it to, say, a typical wildland urban interface that you would see in California, you know, San Bernardino County, something like that. Um, and then putting it side by side by, um, say, somewhere in Rooks County is a lot different. Um, same environment but you just now have different assets. Um, you know, we have agricultural assets out here, um, you know, from farming to ranching, um, so on, so on. So it's very different looking, um, but it's still the same concept. And we need to implement how we would, 
you know, build our homes, build our, you know, businesses as we're putting and plugging them in uh, into this urban interface. So I know you guys all have quite a bit of experience between the three of you and in, in wildland fire. So where have you guys seen or experienced this wildland urban interface firsthand and why it's so important? Wants to go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I, I'll just go. So, uh, and I think the very first time I ever truly experienced it was in, uh, 2000 in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And it was just, uh, that, that was, that was one that was really challenging. Fire was coming, uh, kind of coming into the community there. Um, and I remember being on a fire in Florida. I don't want to say the year because then that'll say how old I am, but in, uh, so in 1998, we were down there, um, doing a lot of structure protection. Uh, and honestly, like, every year kind of since then um it's just the wild and urban interface situation as far as my career goes has just gotten worse uh, one of the more challenging ones was the highlands fire north of hutchinson and that was what what made that a big challenge was just how fast the fire was moving you know and that's and that's one thing that we f- we face in Kansas that's that's pretty unique to the rest of the United States. You know, the plains, you got the plains and that grass field type uh, really, you know, fires move very, very, very quickly under the right conditions. And, you know, the Highlands fire was was one of those kind of perfect, uh, perfect days for a, for a large fire to happen. And, and it did. And um, I think because of a lot of the work that firefighters did and and work that homeowners did was part of the reason that that wasn't a uh, a worse scenario. Um, but yeah, everywhere from California to Washington State to New Mexico, and then like I said, I think one of the most challenging ones that I've been a part of has been has been one here in Kansas. Yeah, I agree. The most challenging one I found was was here at the Highlands fire here in Kansas. Because um, we were out that night when that thing took off uh, in the Highlands. And we were doing a lot of structure protection, catching spots coming across the road and trying to contain it to those outer edge roads uh, that evening. And it was it was a it was a tough experience, you know, not only how much you only have, you know, 300 gallons of water on your truck and you know there's certain techniques you had to use to to you know protect that from jumping and getting into the houses over there so can you guys tell us a little bit more about the highlands fire i mean i'll, I'll talk about it a little bit from my perspective and um you know so a couple of things that made that fire uh difficult was that that wasn't the only fire going on in the state. You know, we had a lot of other large fires going on. Uh, the Clark County uh, fire that came up out of Oklahoma, you know, that, that drew a lot of resources. Um, and there were other, other fires in West and Northwestern Kansas that, that were going on as well. The Highlands fire though, you know, the, the wind was predicted to shift and it did. Uh, we knew it was, gonna shift and we tried to 
to prepare for it as best we could. But uh, kind of leading up to that fire, there was a couple other fires in, in Reno County. Some of those had to continue to be checked and mopped up during during that wind, uh, that wind event. So that, that was good and bad. You know, we had a lot of extra resources in the county at that time. But then I can remember vividly thinking after the wind shifted and the humidity dumped and I can just, I can remember thinking after the first 30 or 45 minutes, like, wow, we kind of, we, we made it, made it through that, 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 that wind shift. And that's probably jinxed it was, was that, but, um, but then once it, once we got that first spot, uh, or walked out the front door of the, the CTC and saw the smoke calm and uh, just thought, well, you know, here we go. Let's start setting priorities. Let, you know, start working with Hutch Fire Department and, and their emergency management on who's there, who's in the way, who can we get out of the way, uh, where are the priorities. The other thing that was, that was a different kind of challenge with that was that it spotted right about sunset and it got, you know, it got dark. And so it, any of the um, the National Guard um, aviation stuff that was down there, you know, we couldn't fly it. And, and so uh, we tried a few different tactics, um, backfiring off of, off of some different roads about a mile apart that it just, it just outran us until we uh, basically had to come to the conclusion that 56th and K61 was going to be we were, we were going to put a lot of eggs into that basket. Yeah. And from what I remember that day, I, you know, I think it was in the upper seventies, lower eighties. Is that correct? And yeah. I think the relative humidity has got down to, Oh, I was thinking eight, 10%. If right. I remember right. Which is just, you know, and in a grass, uh, in grasses and wildland system like that, if a spot, even a small spot hits the chances of it catching, and igniting are extremely high and you know and that's kind of what you know the weather played a huge and huge uh, factor in that but that fire has also led to uh a lot of proactive steps by homeowners out, out in that area you know and so you know despite the the catastrophe that that thing could have been for sure and it was i mean it was bad enough as it was but um there was some positive that came out of it just in terms of the, uh, the homeowners and some of the associations working with their Hutch fire department, the Highlands community itself, uh, trying to, uh, to make sure that, you know, they can, they can do what they can do to hopefully prevent that from happening again. And Chris, you hadn't been on the job for very long when you got your first experience with that wildland yeah. urban interface. Yeah, so a lot of this is all kind of a history lesson for me, which is great because I, I love hearing and talking fire. But yeah, I mean, gosh, what was that? Three weeks after being on the job and fire pops in Cheyenne County and get called out there and I can see a smoke column from Norton County. Um that was definitely interesting getting up there and, and seeing that fire and just how far that fire had gone. Um, 
from all the initial um, starts that it had from from that. But I think definitely the, the wildland urban interface for me, growing up in the Southwest, I mean, that was, that was an every, every, every summer's thing was knowing that there was always going to be fires around us. Dad, dad was going to be going out working fires either on the hand crew or the engines. And, you know, it was nothing to peek out the window and, you know, see a fire started by, you know, by a monsoon, you know, quarter mile away from the house and just watch it creep around everywhere. But um, yeah, from the Northwest down to Texas and in between, I think for myself, 20, 2018 was a, a real heavy year of doing a lot of wildland urban interface work. Um, we got thrown on a, a initial attack assignment uh, for the Texas Forest Service, the hand crew I was working um, right in the middle of hill country, which Austin, Waco, everywhere in between. And it's beautiful country and it's hilly, but there's areas that the the uh, population density is so thick that you would never guess that there would be a multi-million dollar subdivision within all of you know this this you know vegetation. And we were the only hand crew in the state, and we we did more backfiring operations than I can count, which it was awesome. Um, but yeah, 2018 for me was probably one of the busiest with dealing directly with urban interface stuff, but, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how things continue here in Kansas as it grows. Okay. So what are you guys doing specifically to help those volunteer fire departments or local departments be better prepared for, fighting wildfires and not wildland urban interface. Right now we're sitting in our home office trying to develop classes that can, uh, you know, hopefully be uh, more up to date. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now, obviously we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. They're starting to, <laughs> to lift some state restrictions. So hopefully we'll be able to get back and do some field work, but let me rephrase that question, Rodney. What, <laughs> What were you guys doing, or how are you working with volunteer fire departments before sheltering in place from the COVID-19 pandemic, and what will that look like after we have those restrictions lifted? So I, we, we work a lot with our, our fire departments uh, just on a, on a general scale, and, and Chris can speak a little more maybe to the specifics uh, in his district and, and those kinds of things, but on a, in a general sense, um, you know, just trying to provide as much training um, as we can to the, to the fire departments, uh, you know, our, uh, getting just getting out there and talking about our experiences, maybe, you know, even touring some of their areas that they've, that they have concerns in, um, you know, and the other capabilities wise, the other piece to that too, is we're adding, uh, you, we added some assets that, that we can uh, maybe help with, uh, you know, Tanker 95 is the specific one that I'm, I'm referring to. And, you know, so, uh, and then that comes with a whole nother education piece and working with aircraft and working with aircraft in the wildland urban interface and which aircraft is the appropriate aircraft and working with that. But that's, so that's kind of the general 
I think sense of where we're going and what we're, what we're doing. And like I say, Chris or Dennis can maybe speak a little bit more specifics. Uh, putting on specific wildland urban interface trainings, um, showing them how, how to properly triage structures, how to set up, you know, defense systems around them, hose lays, um, burnout operations, um, everything that entails to that. Uh, so the more we can get that out there once all this is over, um, and kind of get back to normal and get back on track of how we were. I think that'll really prepare us for a, a good season next year. I, I kind of agree with what Rodney was saying is the training aspects for the, for the fire departments and working with them. And then also what I start doing a lot more work with also is the homeowners um, because they're the, the huge key in, um, in these areas and what they can do around their homes immediately right by their home and then out in their landscape area on, you know, what they can do around the home to protect themselves that make it much easier on the fire departments. What are some of those things that homeowners can do to make their homes more resilient? A lot of it is, you know, maintenance around your home, Um, you know, right around that, you know, the roof, the, um, the gutters and right against that landscape, you know, cleaning up, you know, a lot of leaf blowing, a lot of hand work doesn't cost a lot of money. So, you know, when people say, well, how much is going to cost? Uh, just a couple hours of work is all it's going to really cost. And, and though, even though it takes a little bit of time, you know, the, that amount of time you spend can just be so beneficial um, in the long run. Yeah. And if you don't want to go and do the work yourself, kind of like in my neighborhood, there's kids driving around on lawnmowers, knocking on my door five times a day, asking to mow my yard that's already to the dirt so <laughs> always have them come do it but uh, no I, I think right there with uh, Dennis of you know just get rid of that excess fuel load you know that tall dead brush get it out of there whether you got to mow it down weed eat it something and you know just really work on building those buffers um, and you know if you're starting from scratch in a you know with a new home try to build a, a fire resilient landscape within that, you know, immediate zone there. Um, you can, you can make some beautiful, beautiful landscapes um, with hardscape. So. And then kind of add on to those uh, to, to Chris and Dennis there, if you don't have any ideas on what it should look like when it's done, you know, the, there's a lot of references on, on websites that you can find. And it's not like, you know, people are saying, go out and you have to have concrete with for the first hundred feet around your home or anything like that. You know, you can, there's, there's definitely a lot of resources out there that people can research and look at and say, oh yeah, that, that would work for me because it still maintains uh, the look that I want to maintain, but improves the defensible space uh, around our house or whatever. Yeah. And I'm, and a person can just look, you know, uh, look up Firewise USA. There's a lot of good information on there. Um, there's a lot of great sites. So like Rodney said, just start looking around and you can get publications and flyers and those type of things that give you really good ideas. Okay. And we can link to those in those in our show notes back to our website, kansasforest.org, where I know some of those resources are at and also our, our Firewise will we'll include a link to that too. Okay, guys, anything else to add in general? Wildland urban interface? Parting wisdom? The wisdom usually comes after the recording stops. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, one thing, you know, and this is get a little more serious note, but one thing for sure is that Kansas, I I just, every time we go somewhere that, that there's a fire in the state, uh, how well the community always comes together. And it doesn't matter if it's a fire or a flood or a ice storm or a tornado or whatever, but, you know, the, the sense of community is pretty amazing. And this this wildland urban interface piece of that is more of a, how can we prevent that? Not a, how do we respond to it kind of mentality. And it's just one of the things that I've just always noticed across the state that I've just come to appreciate. And quite frankly, it's one of the things putting my mayor hat back on that I would just really love to instill in and uh, grow that, uh, that attitude in, in our community as well, but not saying it's not already there. It's just, you know, you can always, always grow, always do better and stuff, but the resiliency and the sense of community in this state's amazing. I think as time goes on, we'll, we'll continue to see that increase. And, you know, um, going back to that Cherry Creek fire up there in St. Francis, I mean, as I pulled up, I mean, you could see all, all their auxiliary members there just, ready to help those firefighters out as much as they could. And, you know, I go, go to these departments, you know, we were doing trainings and they're discussing, you know, we need to bring in auxiliary members and things like that. And, and they are getting ready for these pre-plan, you know, pre-planning for these potential events. And that's great to see because, you know, like Rodney said, not always, not always being so focused on the, that response, but the preventative side of it too. You know, they're, they're making these auxiliaries to, you know, do fuels projects, um, you know, around their stations, around their homes. So that, that's great. What Rodney was saying, it is amazing seeing how Kansans respond. I remember uh, Anderson Creek fire down there, how much the community was just bringing all kinds of stuff um, for the firefighters. It's, it's just so amazing. Um, just resiliency and, and, um, and just how Kansans just have that can do and, and uh, are concerned about others' attitude, which is really, really great in this state. Well, Dennis, Chris, and Rodney, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. Well, thanks for doing this. This is a really good, <clears throat> really good idea, Cassie, to, to do these podcasts and stuff. So, Thanks, Rodney. Be sure to join us next month as we start talking about how the Kansas Forest Service is working to save the stream banks. In the meantime, be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps. We'll see you next month.